Good. Well, as we come to God's word, let me pray for us this morning. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he had authority. Lord, we thank you for the authority of your words that you teach, uh, not like any other teacher, not like any other religious guru, but as God, the one with authority over heaven and earth and the one with authority over us. So we pray, Lord, please this morning, would your spirit come and uh, help us to hear what you have to say. Please give us listening ears. Please help me to explain things clearly. And we pray you would be at work amongst us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I have a cold this morning, so apologies uh, for um, uh, being a bit croaky. Um, There are some things that it is crucial to know if you're holding a fake or not, because it can really cost you. There are some, some things, aren't there, that if, if it's a fake, it's going to really cost you. I wonder if uh, anyone has seen the BBC programme Fake or Fortune? Anyone seen that? A few smiles around. Um, in August 2018, uh, they featured a painting uh, by Sir William Nicholson that was bought for £165,000. And um, as you might expect, what's coming next on the programme, uh, the, uh, the researchers did their stuff, and it was deemed that there wasn't enough evidence to consider, to consider the painting to be legitimate. It was, f- it was very possibly a fake. Imagine spending £165,000 uh, only to find out that you'd bought a fake. Uh, some things, you must uh, examine whether you're holding the real thing or not, because it can really cost you. Now I start with that because Jesus says in these verses that the same is true in the spiritual realm. It is crucial, it is the most important thing in the world that we know how to spot a spiritual fake. Jesus says some very sobering words this morning that somebody who claims to be a Christian may turn out not to be. And that it's also possible to deceive ourselves and to think that we are genuine disciples of his, but to be mistaken. And the thing is that in these verses, you may have noticed that as they were read, the stakes are very high. In these verses, Jesus does a kind of fake or fortune on us to see whether we are the real deal, whether we really are his followers. And I really encourage you, wherever you think you are this morning in your Christian faith, please listen, please listen in, because the stakes are very, very high. We're not thinking about money here. We're thinking about eternity. Eternity. Did you know that this life is not all that there is? This world would have you believe that that it is, that, that once you die, that's it. But that's not true. The Christian faith tells us that, well, we are created eternal. And once we die, we will go on living. And Jesus says that you either go on living in heaven with him in eternity with with joy and, and happiness... Or you go and spend your eternity in hell, away from him, in destruction, in pain. See, we are, there is nothing higher than this. As we consider these, these, these urgent things, these verses give us three tasks this morning. Three tasks, three urgent tasks. There is firstly a terrifying contrast to see. Secondly, there is a spiritual test that we must take. 
And thirdly, there is a pressing decision to make. A terrifying contrast to see, a spiritual test to take, and a pressing decision to make. Let's see firstly the terrifying contrast that Jesus would have us see. Jesus in this last section is giving us four contrasts, four pictures actually of one basic contrast. Basically the contrast is this, you are either in the kingdom of God or you are not. You are either a disciple of his or you are not. You may have noticed these four very vivid pictures uh, that he gives Fame, the famous pictures, aren't they? The narrow road, the broad road, the, the tree, the, uh, the, 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 the house built on the sand and the rock. They're all vivid pictures illustrating one basic contrast. You are either in the kingdom of God or you're not. Just to get this, let's look back a little bit at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which this section ends. Just turn back with me to chapter 5 of Matthew and verse 1. This, uh, these verses come at the end of a, a block of teaching in Matthew, chapters 5 to 7, and we need to consider uh, the whole teaching to get what Jesus is talking about. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, this will be familiar to you. Let me just read chapter 5 and verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus is teaching what it means to be a disciple of his. And then he goes on, doesn't he? Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This teaching, Jesus says, is what will get you into the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the contrast? You're either in or you're out. And like any good preacher, at the end of his sermon, Jesus applies his points by giving four very vivid con- uh, sort of pictures of the contrast. To, sh- to sort of help us to see for ourselves whether we are in or whether we are out, whether we are a real disciple or whether we are not. So let's look at each of, of these little pictures quickly in turn. So we've got the narrow and the broad road, haven't we? Uh, back in chapter 7, um, page 972, verses 13 and 14. The narrow gate and the narrow road and the broad gate and the broad road. Let's just look at where they lead. So verse 13, the narrow gate... Um, uh, uh, sorry the narrow gate in verse 13 in verse 14 we see where it leads it leads to life but then verse 13 again the broad gate the wide gate and the broad road leads to destruction do you see that the clarity of Jesus's teaching there see Jesus is saying something very simple that the way to, to heaven uh, that the way to be right with God The way to know that when you die, you will be safe for eternity is to live your life on the narrow road. And those two descriptions are very important because Jesus says the way to heaven, the narrow road, well, it's narrow. It's not obvious. It's not popular. It's hard. And by contrast, most people are on the broad road. It's popular. It's crowded. But it's traveling to hell, to destruction. The world will tell you that it doesn't matter what you believe because every road ends in heaven. It's not true. It's not true. Most, most roads end in hell. Jesus says the narrow road is the only road that goes to heaven. See, it really does matter 
this morning what you believe about Jesus. This really is a choice for those who are looking in to the kingdom of God. This is a choice for the non-believer. Jesus kind of shows, shows the picture and says, well, which road are you going to follow? Which road are you going to follow? So that's the first picture. Let's look at the second. Uh, two kinds of tree. Uh, Jesus uh, uses this little picture of the, the two trees um, in verses 15 to 20. Trees that stand, verse 15, for false prophets or, or two kinds of Christian leader. That's what a prophet is, a Christian leader. Uh, the true and the false prophets. So those who profess to be Christian leaders and teachers who f- and sort of claim to follow Christ, but who don't. Well, how do you know the difference? Verse 16, by their fruit, by their fruit. These false prophets, false teachers, verse 17, bear bad fruit. Bad fruit. That is, their, their lives and their characters give the game away. That for all their good talk... They are not genuine Christians. They're not the real deal. They're hypocrites. Rather, verse 15, they are ferocious wolves who do damage to God's people. These seem to be people who are pretending uh, to be Christians, but are not. And again, just notice their terrifying end. Verse 19, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a vivid picture of, of hell. So that's another contrast and then we move on to verses 21 to 23 which i think are the most frightening verses in this passage and jesus contrasts two kinds of disciple two people imagine two people who both think they are christians notice that one says in verse 21 lord lord they call jesus lord but jesus says that well on the last day on on the day of judgment before God, before God's sort of gaze and his, his throne, he sees the truth and he sees that the one who claims to be a Christian isn't. This believer says, verse 21, didn't we heal people and prophesy and, and do miracles and all kinds of amazing things in your name, Jesus? No, Jesus says, away from me, verse 23, you evildoers. Do you see what Jesus is saying? It's possible to think you are a real Christian, but to be deceived. And what makes the difference? It's striking, isn't it? Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. See, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. It's whether you are known by Christ. And Jesus elaborates, doesn't he? Verse 21. Only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He's the one who is the real believer. We'll think in a moment about what that actually means. But just notice that it is possible to delude yourself, to think that you are the real deal, but to be mistaken. And again, notice the terrifying end of these false Christians. Verse 23, away from me, to be sent away from Christ. Now, just notice as we step back a moment how these contrasts are getting closer to home. So our first contrast, the narrow and the wide gate, were for people looking in to Christianity. The second one was for those who are kind of on the inside but are pretending to be Christians. And the third gets even closer to home with two people who both think they are on the inside. Well, now then, the fourth picture really hits home because it's between two people who are both listening to Jesus. Perhaps they were there uh, listening to him as, they, as he gave the sermon. 
but th these people in verses 24 to 27 are both listeners to Jesus. They could be sitting here today. They're both receptive to Jesus' word. They, they both enjoy listening to him. But one is genuine and one is not. Let's see the difference. Jesus uses that famous picture, doesn't he, of the two houses, one built on rock, one built on sand. And it's when the rain comes, verse 25, and the streams rise and the winds blow, the storm comes, and that's the test. Which house stands? Well, it's the one that built, that's built on rock, and the other one collapses. It is a picture of the judgment of God. That storm is not some external sort of thing in our world. No, it's, it's the judgment of God testing these two lives. And only one life can survive that judgment. Verse 26, it's the one who has heard the words of Jesus and put them into practice. Sorry, verse 24, isn't it? The one who, uh, one who hears the words of Christ and puts them into practice is the one that survives. Verse 26, the one who hears the words but doesn't put them into practice well, they don't survive the judgment of God. Now, again, we'll think about what this means in a moment. But do you see the contrast? Do you see this terrifying contrast? Four illustrations of the, of the one basic thing. Jesus says you're either in or you're out. There is no third way. Notice that. We're not sort of one foot in and one foot out. You are either in the kingdom of God or you're not. That's, that's helpful to be clear on that. But before we move on, let's just notice the crucial thing here, that it is the Lord who knows. It's the Lord who knows the truth. You see, it's possible to pull the wool over other people's eyes and to sort of walk, the, you know, talk the talk but not really be a Christian. It's possible even to pull the wool over your own eyes and to think you are a real Christian but, but not be. But you see, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. All of these pictures take us to that final judgment where we stand, as it were, naked and alone before God, who sees everything, who sees your heart. And he looks, and, and on that day he will look straight into your heart and he will know. He will know where you stand with him. Well, I wonder this morning, are you in or are you out? That's the question, isn't it? And as we think about that, we need to move on to the second thing because it leads us nicely, doesn't it? If that's the contrast, firstly, well, secondly, we have a spiritual test to take, haven't we? We have a spiritual test to take. Let's just review the differences that these pictures give us. So the narrow road, choosing that the right way, the narrow way, that the good tree, the good fruit, spotting the bad fruit and generating the good fruit, being the real disciple who does the will of the Father, and then the house, hearing Jesus' words and obeying them. Those four outcomes show that you are in. But what do they mean? Well, each in their own way drive us back into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that's the, the Bible is all about context. So Jesus has just been teaching, hasn't he, for three chapters from chapter 5, 6 and 7. He's been teaching what it means to follow the narrow way. He's been teaching what it means to, uh, to, to generate good fruit. And he's been teaching what it means to do the will of the Father. So we need to pay attention to him and sort of look back in the sermon if we want to know 
if we are a real follower of Christ. The clue is in verse 21, isn't it? In this picture of the two disciples. Did you notice that little detail? Jesus says, it's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is in heaven. Now, what does that remind you of? That should ring a bell in your mind. In fact, not just from the Sermon on the Mount, but from our our church week by week. It's the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Our Father who is in heaven. It's the same phrase. And that, for that, that sort of idea of God as Father comes up again and again through the sermon. Because in the sermon, you see, there is a basic contrast. These two ways are actually there all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the sermon, there are two ways of relating to God. One wrong and one right. Well, what are they? Well, let's think about the wrong way first. This Sermon on the Mount is given really to a Jewish context. It's given to the Jewish leaders and the, sort of the, 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 the religious elite of Jesus' day. Those who thought that they were in the kingdom of God because they kept the law of God. That's, I think, who Jesus is really talking about. Just look back at chapter 6 and verse 1 and we meet them there. And this will be familiar if you've come to St. Nick's over the last few weeks. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says... Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, do you see, there again is the contrast. You've got someone who who is just concerned about outward morality, being sort of good enough on the outside. And Jesus says, if that's you, well, then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, here are two ways of relating to God. And the wrong way Well, it's all about keeping sort of religious rules. Someone who on the outside is very moral and religious, but who on the inside doesn't know God and doesn't care about God. All they care about is getting praise from other people. And that links in, doesn't it, with a little bit earlier on in the sermon, chapter 5. Just look back at chapter 5 and verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21. We've seen this as well as as we've gone along. Jesus says, doesn't it? You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Now that's from the Ten Commandments. And now if if you were a kind of religious Jew, you would hear that and think, great, that means I'm in. I'm a Christian because, well, I've not murdered anyone. You can't see any bodies on the floor. But of course, Jesus goes further, doesn't he? He says, oh, it's not just about the outward. It's about the inward. Verse 22, I tell you that anyone who's angry has broken the law. It's about your heart. That's what Jesus says. Well, that's the wrong way. It is about thinking, well, in my heart, I I don't need God. I don't love God. I don't want God. I'm just going to keep the rules, and that's going to be enough. It's in your heart to say, actually, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to rely on my own goodness to make myself right with God. I don't need God because I've got all my good works. And Jesus says that is the wrong way. And that will land you on the broad road that leads to hell. Whereas the right way, what's the right way? How do you be, how are you in Jesus' kingdom? Well, let's look back again right to the start of the sermon. Chapter 5 and verse 3. Chapter 5 and verse 3. Jesus says, blessed are who? Those who are perfect on the outside? No, those who are poor in spirit. Those who look at their lives and say, actually, 
I'm not good enough. My outward morality, my outward religion is not enough to save me. My church attendance, my, 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 my speech, it's not good enough because my heart is wrong. My spirit is wrong. And so I'm coming to you, God, in repentance, saying, actually, I'm not good enough on my own. Please, will you save me? God, would you save me? Would you be my father? Do you see, it's a completely different way of coming to God. So that's the test that we need to take. Are we, what are we relying on in terms of our relationship with God? Are we, are we relying on our outward good works? Or are we abandoning ourselves to Christ? Because how is it possible that sinful people like you and me, who break the law, who in their hearts are, 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 are sinful, how can they be accepted by God? Well, of course, it's because a few chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus Christ goes to the cross and dies. He takes the punishment that our sinfulness deserves. And only Jesus has, has been the perfect man. Only Jesus has, has perfectly kept the law. And as we come to him and say, Lord, would you save me? Because I've got nothing good enough. Would you save me? Jesus says, yes, I will. And he gives us his goodness. So I wonder, are you trying to save yourself this morning? Or are you looking only to God, only to Christ to save you? That's the test that we need to take. It's possible, I think, to um, actually, in two different ways, to reject God like this. We can do it by being good and saying, actually, uh, God, I don't need you to save me because I'm good enough on my own. Or we can do it by being bad or by being an atheist. We can say, well, actually, God, I don't care about you. I don't really think you exist. So I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. But that's still rejection of God. Either way, you are rejecting him. And remember, on the last day, God will know. He will see where your heart really is with him. That's the test that we must take. Have we come to God poor in spirit? Realising that actually the Lord Jesus is worthy of our lives. That last picture of Hearing the words of Christ and obeying them points to the fact that being a disciple of Christ is actually about following Christ. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. Of saying, actually, Lord, I want my life to be about you. Not about me. I'm, I'm letting myself go. I'm not good enough. I want to follow you. I want to do what you want. And that's costly. That's costly. But it is the way into the kingdom. And so as I move to a close, it may be that this morning, thirdly, there's a pressing decision to make. Remember that the stakes here are very high. We're thinking about eternity. And you might think, well, OK, it's a Sunday and, and you know, this tomorrow's Monday and I've got work this week and, you know, next year's 2020. And, and, you know, life rolls on, doesn't it? But one day the clock will stop. And you'll find yourself before God. Who knows when that will come? You could die tomorrow. And that's when it'll matter. And so the pressing decision is for today. It is to say, will I, let, will I abandon myself to Jesus and let him save me? 
Will I let go of my goodness? Will I stop trying to be good enough and let Jesus save me and make him, following him, my goal? We must decide. Bear in mind that this decision does require a cost. There's a cost involved. I was chatting to someone at Gravely and they said that actually the whole thing about the narrow road is that it's, very, it's, so, it's so narrow that you, you can't take anything else with you. You know, you, you can only go through it yourself. That's a great picture of what it is to become a Christian. You have to let everything else go. You have to let other people's good opinion of you go. It may be that, that maybe people in your family will think, what are you doing following Christ? But you see, it's all about Christ. It, it's him who matters. As you follow him down the narrow road. And it may be as you take that test this morning, you think, actually, yes, I am on that narrow road. I am following him. And great, that's wonderful. Today, maybe you just want to recommit yourself. But it may be that there's somebody here who thinks, actually, I'm not following him. And today, I want to start. Well, if that's you this morning, and it may not be, there's no pressure here. It may be that you've got more uh, questions about Jesus more questions to think through and that's that's fine but if today you know that he's calling you to start following him then i want to end with a a brief prayer a prayer that will express something of that desire to him it's a simple prayer it's an abc it's a prayer that admits our sin admits that we are not good enough and it's a prayer that um believes in Christ it, it sort of highlights that actually Jesus is enough he died for me he's the one I want to follow I believe in him and it's a prayer that that enables us then to come to him so admit believe and come as we close I'm just going to read that prayer three once so you can hear what I'm going to pray and then if you'd like to pray that with me I will then pray it and then please just echo it in your heart So just have a listen. It goes like this. Lord, I admit that I am like the Pharisees, trying to make myself right with you. I'm ignoring you and I'm living my life against you. But I believe that you died for me on the cross to forgive me for my rejection of God, to welcome me back. And I believe that you are worthy to give my life to this morning. And so I want to come to you, to turn away from all I know to be wrong, and start to follow you on the narrow way. That's the prayer. If you'd like to pray it with me, uh, please do, as I pray it now. Lord, I admit this morning that I am like the Pharisees, trying to make myself right with you on my own, but actually ignoring you and living life against you. But I believe that you died for me on the cross to forgive me for my rejection of you and to welcome me back And I believe that you are worthy this morning to give my life to. So I want to come to you this morning to turn away from all I know to be wrong. And this morning to start following you on the narrow way. Please would you help me to follow you. In Jesus name. Amen. Well if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning. Perhaps you would tell somebody at the end. Come and tell me or come and tell Dave.
And if you'd like to think a little bit more, if you're not ready to pray that, and you think, actually, I, I need to know a little bit more about the Christian faith, um, I've got some little booklets here, leaflets, um, that just explain a little bit more. You can take it away and have a read. Um, and if, you're, if you are a Christian here this morning, as many of us will be, perhaps you think this week, I just want to recommit myself to following Christ. Thank you.